Welcome, viewers and listeners, to the Total Football Analysis EPL Podcast. We are the Thinking Fans Podcast. Each week, we get together with our besties who are current pro players, real coaches, academics, and stat heads. We are sponsored by the EPL Guide, a 280-page guide of the season created by a team of 25-plus writers and designers. Moneyball for football, analytics plus opposition analysis plus eye candy. The next update will be released in early December at www.thinkingfanmedia and on Amazon. Today, we're joined by soccer analyst Harshal Patel. Also on the pod is Dre Fortune, a professional creative attacking midfielder for North Carolina FC. I am host Chris Mumford, known as the professor, Bella Chow. Well, we return from the second international break with several high profile matches, Man City Tottenham, Liverpool Leicester, Leeds Arsenal, and others. We'll take a quick gander at the Champions League matches, and we'll also review notable upcoming games, including Chelsea Tottenham, Man United Southampton, and Leeds Everton. Harshel, let's talk about that Man City Tottenham game. Wow, there were some things going on there. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it, it's almost as if that game was the typical sort of perfect Jose Mourinho performance by Spurs, you know, which I mean, it's all he, he's almost built his brand or his um, identity, even though I mean, it's it's a lot far away from the truth. But the stereotypical image that fans have of Mourinho winning games is, you know, sitting back, um, denying op- the opposition space and time on the ball and scoring goals on the counter and winning games. And that is almost exactly what happened in this match where, I mean, Spurs, I think, if I'm not mistaken, they had two shots and they scored two goals or something. And and City had over 20 shots and they didn't score. But that's just, that's a very superficial way to look at it. And, and what I found really interesting, or I mean, I wouldn't say interesting, what is becoming a concern now is the fact that City are really struggling to score goals this season. I mean, you do not expect a Pep Guardiola side to be this, uh, you know, devoid of creativity. Uh, they, they've they've really struggled to put together, um, you know, the sort of attacking moves that we've associated them with in the past where they've blown, they, they blow, I mean, you know, you, you expect to see City blow up teams apart 3-0, 4-0. And I know, I mean, I'm not saying that Spurs are uh, that poor a side which can, uh, defensively, at least, who can get taken apart that easily by City. But at the same time, it's becoming very, uh, you know, slow and predictable in the the way that City are playing in a, in their attacking football. The wingers are always cutting inside. He's he's been playing Ferran Torres on the left, and I think it was uh, Riyad Mahrez who started on the right in this game. And they're obviously both playing on the opposite side of their strong foot, so they will always look to cut inside. But then there's no width because Kyle Walker, who I, is probably been City's best player of the season so far, in my opinion. He does offer a lot going forward, but because of his pace and because of the fact that City have been vulnerable on the counter attack, he he always stays back. As because of his pace, since he can, you know, uh, cover for uh, uh, City uh, if they're counted upon. Joao Cancelo on the opposite flank, who's the left back, who's playing as a left back, even though he is a right back, he was essentially playing as a central midfielder. I mean, any time City had. Uh, possession of the ball for long periods. He was playing alongside Rodri or even, uh, you know, uh, alongside Kevin De Bruyne in those central areas rather than being out on the flank overlapping. 
So there was absolutely no width, and it was very easy for uh, Spurs to basically pack the center and deny them space. And this has been a recurring theme for City all of throughout the season, where there is no width being created, and there that's why there's no space for them to create. And all of the um, creative burden is then falling on Kevin De Bruyne, and it's not worked out so far. Right, Dre. What, what what was your take on the match? Yeah, um, a couple of things. I think uh, the point about, for example, Kinsella. I think we've seen Pep deploy that tactic a few times over the years, where he has his, his fullback stuck inside to try to isolate the wingers one v one. You know, as, as good dribblers as they are, but uh, I mean, as Harshal started off saying, it's just the typical Jose Mourinho, you know, setup in, in terms of just being defensively compact. And and Men City just never looked like they were going to create anything for me. They just always looked like they were, you know, trying to to build up as they usually do. And then as they got, you know, closer to the attacking third of the field, and the spaces got tighter and tighter without Tottenham were playing, it just looked like they were struggling all game um, in terms of creating. And Tottenham were were lethal on the counter attack, and they they punished them and took their chances. And I think that's that's all Jose Mourinho wanted out of the game. And um, Arshaw's been mentioning it for weeks that Manchester City's struggling to even create chances. And I think, you know, we see this again. And it's more than just, I think, you know, having Aguero back, for example, or, you know, having Jesus back as, as we see now. I, I think it's a lot more than that. They need to figure out a way. I, I don't think they've replaced David Silva. I don't think they've figured out a way to, to deal with him not being in the team anymore. And uh, I think they're going to struggle as long as they don't figure out a way to deal with that. So... I'm going to take a little different take on things. I mean, if you look at Man City, they took 17 shots, only four were on target, and nine of them were from outside of the box. So clearly the shot selection, they're not creating legit good shots. Uh, compared to Tottenham, which took took uh, uh, only only four shots. You know, if you look at crosses, Man City's crosses, they, they made 20, 26 and... Only two of them were successful. So they had an 8% success rate in terms of crosses. And, you know, I think the other pundits are saying that Man City's demise is here. And I'm just, I don't buy that yet. You know, I feel like last year their defense was well, defensive struggles was well chronicled with injuries. And they kind of started out with a reverse problem in the beginning of this year. And I think Jesus probably needs a little more time to get his rhythm. I don't think he's ever been Aguero level. And I just feel like they're trying to lead an attack is like having a spear without a tip on it, right? They just, there's not an Aguero there on the three yard line to, to poach it in, right? It's, that's just not happening. And I just feel like Man City needs a few more reps. They need Aguero back. Do they need another striker? Of course, they're going to need to bring one in. I don't think it's going to happen during January. Um, so I just, I'm not ready to, to, uh, to agree with the demise of Man City. I, I think in the next few games, hopefully Aguero is healthy. I know he's training. I don't know if he's healthy to play this, this weekend. So, you know, time will tell on that. I will say with Tottenham, you know, are they all? Or are they gonna are they gonna regress back to nothing, right? And I think they the reality is I don't think they're all. I don't think they're really serious to contend for the long term. Um, you know, when when Harry Kane gets injured, what's gonna happen to that team, right? Because it, it's it's gonna happen. Because given this season, every it seems like everyone's gonna get injured once or twice. 
So I will say that Tottenham's, you know, Marino defense's parking the double decker bus was very effective. Um, but I, I just I I feel like Man City's demise is is too premature. Harshell, any, any any other notes on that? Um, I mean, I agree in the sense that I mean, I, I wouldn't say that there there's a demise happening, but it's interesting that. I found it actually quite interesting that Pep signed a new deal, for example, at City, because he's been here for what? This is his fifth season, mm-hmm. um, longest ever tenure at a single club. Uh, he's spoken earlier about how exhausted he was by the end of his first spell at, at Barcelona, mm-hmm. ditto at Bayern. Mm-hmm. And in general, if you look at the careers of top flight managers who've been successful, most notably, say, for example, if you look at even Sir Alex Ferguson, he obviously had success over a long period of time. but there was const- there was it was probably a three or four year cycle with one squad it was and then that squad needed to be refreshed over the next couple of seasons with new faces coming in because the messaging gets stale and this is something that is quite uh, sort of prevalent whenever you listen to anybody talking who's played in the professional game for long enough that three four years uh, seasons is the most that you know a, a squad of players can take from one particular manager because the ideas start getting stale or the players don't uh, but, but Herschel, let me let me unpack that a little bit okay for pep no one's going to pay him more money right no one's going to give him the resources that he needs and the only potential legit opportunity was barca and barca is an absolute uh shed show right now right i mean it's just the the rebuild on that is going to be considerable and i don't I, I, so I think that, and, and this is Pep's second or third time around. So I imagine his, he's still fairly stressed. He's always been tightly wound, but this is his third rodeo here. And I just feel like things can't get any better for him. And then you kind of look at the flip side. Are there any coaches that are better than Pep to do the rebuild for Man City? Maybe you could make an argument for Pochettino, sort of, kind of, if you blow your eyes. But I just, to me, it makes a lot of sense, and quite honestly, I, I just feel like the pieces are coming into place where Messi uh, is will probably join in January because Barca is in tremendous debt right now. This is a huge crisis. They need a hundred million dollars, like nobody's business, to start the re- the full rebuild um, because I think the door's closed on keeping Messi. Dre, do you have any any thoughts on that? Uh, specific to Pep or to Barcelona? Well, Pep as well as Man City. I mean, do you feel like it makes sense for Pep to stay for the rebuild? And are there are the pieces in place? I don't even know if I want to use the word rebuild. I still think it's refinement. Do, do, do you think Man City needs a rebuild or refinement? Uh, I, I would I would say refinement. I think it's I think it's still too soon, especially with everything that's gone on over the course of the year, to really you know say that their their demise is here. I, I definitely agree. It's too soon for that. Um, but I, I mean, over the years, I think we've seen Pep be able to figure it out. So I think, you know, we just give him a little bit of time. We give him the January window and see what happens. And I'm sure he'll be able to figure something out to refine the team and, and the squad in a way that'll, that'll be beneficial. Well, good. Um, Sorry, Chris, I'll just jump in there. Sure. One last, one last thought on this, because I was just looking around at some numbers. Um, you were talking about how, for example, in this game, City took most of their shots from outside the box and uh, that's obviously not an optimal way to score. And 
I had to double check this because this absolutely blew my brains. Because at the moment, as of now, with the with last weekend's have uh, games having been played, City have an xG per shot, which is basically expected goals there to expected goals total for the season divided by the number of shots they've taken. So that gives you an average value for the xG of every shot. Um, their xG per shot for this season is zero point one, which is a twenty five percent or so decline on last season. It's the second lowest in the league this season, I, I, just I above West Brom. Harshal, I, I hear that, but if you if you lose your best strikers, of which a system is so integral, I mean Aguero has been such an important piece. So yes, I, I hear I hear that piece. I just wonder if it's if you don't have a tip of the spear, the spear is not going to work very well. Uh, the point. So- being made here is that the spear doesn't exist because the chances aren't being created in the first place. It's right. a different thing that you create the chances and you don't take them. My, and at least the numbers make it seem as if they're not creating chances at the moment. But yeah, we can keep <laughs> going on about this. All no, year no. Next. Well, I look forward in the next month. The proof is going to be in the pudding, right? Either the the yeah. tip is going to be sharpened or or it's going to stay blunted, and and we'll kind of see what what goes on. So. Tottenham did take a well-deserved 2-0 victory. Uh, one goal was a set piece and one was a kind of an NBA-style fast break, uh, which was a whole lot of fun to watch and probably a whole lot funner to uh, participate in. Um, so let's turn attention to the uh, Liverpool-Leicester game uh, where uh, Liverpool just outright manhandled um, uh, Leicester. Uh, you know, I, I Liverpool had... 21 shots to and 10 on on target to Leicester's nine shots and two on target. Liverpool had 56% possession. Um, and I do think that Leicester played very tough, solid defense. But over the end, they were done in not by all these amazing open play shot, open play opportunities, because Casper Schmeichel was the absolute star. He made uh, seven saves three or four, which were some of the strangest saves I've seen in, in some time. Um, but what really did Lester in were two set pieces, right? Um, two headers, an own goal um, early on with, from Johnny Evans, uh, and then a hallelujah um, goal from um, from Firmino, uh, who is uh, uh, well chronicled that he's had some challenges in terms of scoring. Um, so it wasn't the open play that that did Lester in. It was the set pieces. Um, Dre, what 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 was your take on the game? Uh, well, honestly, I thought it was just a, a routine win for Liverpool and signs that they're getting back to the the same team that they were, you know, last year and over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they were a bit fortunate, with, especially with the first goal. I mean, I think it's just unlucky for Leicester, but I, I think in the end, we were going to get to that same stage anyway. I think they were going to end up scoring a few goals. I mean. Firmino missed a couple of chances. You know, there were chances all all over for them to be scored. Um, and they're, they're, I mean, Jota's looked really good for them. He's he's been a, a great addition to them, and they're going to be getting solid back soon. So, I think Liverpool is the team that needs to be stopped right now. I know we, you know, we're talking about Tottenham at the top of the table, but Liverpool, I think, is getting back to you know full strength basically, and, and they're probably going to run away with it again if they continue in this way. So, as a as a player. You, I mean, they've literally replaced, I can't remember the number now, four or five positions with some of the, that were different than at the beginning of the season. How do players adjust to that? How have they been able to adjust so quickly to new faces in different positions? 
Uh, well, I mean, I think, I think obviously every, every individual player brings something different, but when you're within a system, um, the roles will more or less be the same. So I think it's just being able to, to understand the system. And, you know, these are guys who have been playing for years, so they have lots of experience. And when they understand what's being asked of them and they can apply it, uh, you know, it, it's, it's like second nature. So I think, I think in that aspect, they were always going to, you know, adjust to each other fairly quickly and, and be able to, you know, be at their best. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Harshel, what, what was your take on the game? Yeah, as Ray said, you know, um, it was a pretty routine win for Liverpool in the sense that most people would have thought that Leicester would have given them more of a more of a challenge, um, especially with all the injury absences and all of that and COVID and all of that that um, Liverpool are dealing with. But one thing that I found interesting from, say, a tactical point of view was that Leicester obviously have been playing a back five for most of the season, largely down to circumstance rather than anything else. I mean, Rogers' uh, preferred formation is for, is the four three three or the four two three one, but he's just had so many defenders um, out due to injury that he's had to adapt and play a back five. Uh, and that was the case in this game as well. They and they were very passive. They weren't really pressing or they weren't aggressive, which is interesting considering the fact that Leicester were the in terms of again, if you look at PPDA, which is passes per defensive action, which is um, a metric to gauge how aggressive a team's press is. Leicester were the fourth best. Or the fourth most aggressive on that measure last season, mm-hmm. whereas I mean the towards the bottom this season, you know, and that is a, a, a reflection of the shape that they're playing, because obviously you naturally look to stay deeper and be more compact when you're playing with the back five, mm-hmm. but it's also a reflection of just generally what what we've been talking about uh, throughout as well, where uh, teams are just generally not as aggressive and as physically uh, intensive as they were last season because of the uh, turnaround that we've seen, uh, the short turnaround between seasons that we've seen. I mean, in fact, um, if you look, if you compare PPDA numbers for all the teams between last season and this season, I think bar maybe one or two teams, every team has dropped off in terms of their press, even Liverpool, for example, or even elites who they are the best or the most high, high pressing team in the league, but their numbers are still um, suggests that that it's being done at a lower rate than it was being done last season. So it's, I mean, I I still think that Leicester do have a chance of finishing in a higher position, uh, if if not top four, probably top six because of the nature of the season. But it's just been impressive in terms of how Liverpool have been able to cope. I have been extremely impressed with Diogo Jota, for example. He's he's come in and it looks like he's been playing at Liverpool for years. Yeah. You know, one of the names that wasn't uttered much was Jamie Vardy. And I'm just really struck by how a makeshift defense uh, of Liverpool was able to shut down one would argue one of the most prolific scorers in the last few years. Um, That was one big surprise. I would have thought that he would have had more. And I thought Harvey Barnes looked sharp um, when he was on the pitch. Uh, So, yeah, I, I think Leicester didn't play badly. It's just that Liverpool was on absolute fire. And I will tell you from an entertainment perspective, this is probably one of the funnest games to watch in the last six months. I, I, wish, I wish we could see more games that had this level of intensity besides teams called Leeds, right? But it was just a whole lot of fun to watch. 
Um, so with that in mind, why don't we turn our attention to the uh, the Leeds Arsenal um, uh, match uh, where <laughs> Leeds was their normal, hardworking, uh, uh, just all over the place, 22 shots of which only four uh, were on uh, on goal. Um, they had 63% possession. Arsenal had nine shots, only of which only two were on on, on goal. And guess what? Leeds outdueled Arsenal 53% to 44%. Um, Dre, what what's going on with Arsenal? What's what's happening here? Yeah, I mean they they were completely outclassed as far as I'm concerned. I mean Leeds just ran all over them, all over the pitch. Uh, Leeds was unfortunate not to win actually, and I, I thought they would have been even more unlucky to to lose because there was a questionable handball late on. I personally don't think it's a handball, but I've seen some things called with VAR, so I thought they may have been uh, given that with a, a shot from Aubameyang. But yeah, I mean, Arsenal is just lacking in, in, in so much, so many different areas. It comes down again for me. It's the, you know, the creativity and the, the middle third and the final third phases of the field where they're just struggling to create anything. And um, we spoke about it last time, I believe, with, Aubameyang, I mean, he, he's there. He's not going to create for himself. He needs guys to kind of help create for him, and and then he'll be able to finish chances. And it's just it's not happening right now, and it's it's uh, disappointing. It's you know it, it's because it's been going on for a while, and it's just one of those things. You, I mean, I I don't really see how they how they fix it. I think they need to bring in somebody who's going to be a little more creative. I saw they were linked with Ericsson, so um, you know maybe he can come in and make a difference for them. I don't know if that's going to pan out. It usually doesn't for Arsenal, but. Yeah, I mean, Leeds, Leeds was just extremely good on the day, and just for me, unlucky not to not to go away with three points. So I know this this probably hasn't happened to you, um, but uh, as a professional, how do you regain your mojo if you've lost your mojo? What advice would you give to Aubameyang? What, what do you think is going on in in his head? Um, I don't know it's probably it's probably tough for him. I mean, he's he's got a few different things probably going on. Obviously. He's, He's going to want to score more goals. Um, I'm sure he's going to want more chances to score more goals. Uh, and then uh, on the other hand, you know, he, as as a captain of the team, he's got to be, you know, really motivational and supportive of all the guys and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I can imagine it's really tough for him. Just as a team in general, I mean, most of the time, you know, growing up and, and even now, one of the things that is always on my mind when things aren't going great, when they aren't going well for you, you just simplify your game, do the do the basic stuff, get, you know, the basics right. And then everything on top of that will kind of develop and materialize. And um, I, I, I mean, I think that's a that's a good start, especially when you look and, you, like you said, leads one majority of the duels and whatnot. I mean, fifty fifties and stuff like that are basic things that you know you 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 go into a hundred percent, and and things kind of develop from there. From there, you can get lucky bounces here and there, and the ball ends up in the back of the net. So I think it's just a few things like that that they just need to try to improve on and go from there. Harshal, what's your take on on things? Um, this is quite an interesting game to watch. I mean, we've spoken about it about how I think every Leeds game has been quite interesting to watch. But obviously, um, Nicolas Pepe got all the headlines for the headbutt and the red card and all of that. But I mean, even before he got sent off, he wasn't really doing much. It was quite notable, especially in the first half, how Leeds were able to, you know attack almost at will down their left and which is obviously Arsenal's right because Pepe was not tracking back. He was not uh, helping uh, Belgrin out defensively. So it was almost always a two versus one situation down that flank, which I'm, I'm sure Arteta wasn't happy with that. And 
he must have obviously I'm, he sh- I'm, I'm assuming he gave Pepe some instructions during the break to track his man but we didn't really see much of an impact of that because he got sent off but uh, um, that was interesting the uh, Leeds were able to bring back Calvin Phillips who's been injured for a bit and he is arguably the one player in that Leeds side who is almost irreplaceable uh, and it showed in their build-up and in terms of how they were able to uh, move the ball quickly and again we've spoken about how Leeds man mark all over the pitch and it was really interesting to see how the two central midfielders Mateus Klik and Stuart Dallas were on Granit Xhaka and uh, Danny Ceballos at all times especially when Arsenal were trying to build out from the back you would see the two Leeds players push on onto the two Arsenal midfielders so the Arsenal centre-backs could not pass it centrally into the central midfielder so they had to go out wide and that automatically then was a pressing trigger for Leeds to then press and try and win the ball back so again it just shows how well um, Leeds were prepared in terms of their tactics and their organisation around this game and uh, we've, we've spoken about Arsenal and their lack of creativity but and there's actually an interesting stat I want to bring up in that regard which is again the XG per shot which I was talking about earlier mm-hmm. Arsenal are actually doing better this season in terms of that particular metric XG per shot than they were last season there's about an almost 12% improvement in the XG per shot for this season as compared to last season and they're also uh, giving up fewer quality chances if you look at XGA which is expected goals against per shot even there's been an improvement in that side of things as well but um, if you just consider expected goals per game this season Arsenal have the sixth worst expected goals total which so what that tells me is that they're not creating a lot of chances but when they do create chances they are usually high quality chances or decent quality chances so they probably need to get better at creating more chances and it's up to I mean I don't know how Arteta is going to solve that but that's what I think the problem is interesting and Leeds is 1-1 lost three and tied one in the last five Uh, is this the mean for them do you feel that they are a kind of 14th, 15th in the rankings, or do you feel that they've been unlucky or uh, during the last five games? I wouldn't say they've been unlucky. They deserve to lose the games that they did, which mm-hmm. were, I mean, they lost 4 1 to Palace, for example, mm-hmm. which was pretty deserved because Palace did create decent chances and, I mean, they took the chances that they, that they, that they were able to create. But I do think that this may be about mid table is Leeds sort of natural habitat in that sense okay. they may outperform and maybe might even make it into the top 10 but you've got to remember yes they have spent money this summer yes they aren't exactly a poor club but even in the season last season in the championship they had only I think the 6th or 7th highest wage bill of the clubs in the championship mm-hmm. they got promoted on the back of that so which was obviously a huge overachievement even though and that's what Bielsa brings you, you know, he, he brings you that overachievement in terms of making average players much better. And that's what he's doing this time around as well. Leeds have spent money, but they don't. You look at look at the lineup. I mean, you, there's nobody who screams Premier League quality or, or who's, you know, maybe one or two who they've bought. But the others are all, they were, the, the vast majority of that team was in the championship uh, starting 11 last season. So... I wouldn't be surprised if they stay in this region of the table, but even that would be a great achievement. So it, 
even though we all think that Deed should be higher up the table, we've got to remember that they're still uh, not really, you know, a heavyweight of the league yet. So, well, that and keep in mind that the injuries and the COVID, uh, it, yeah, I really think in the next week or two, we'll start to see a fully healthy Leeds. Uh, and in the next three weeks, they're going to be playing, uh, having uh, matches against, um, um, I, I believe it's Man United and Chelsea that they're going to be playing. So they're going to have, have their hands full. Um, well, good. Well, why don't we go ahead and just quickly talk over um, some of the other matches. Chelsea beat Newcastle in a fairly routine 2-0. Um, Brighton upset Aston Villa um, 2-1. Uh, and um, Man United had a probably a fairly lackluster win over West Brom 1-0. Um, Everton dispatched Fulham 3-2, uh, and uh, West Ham beat Sheffield United, which wasn't that much of a surprise, I don't think. Um, Burnley beat Crystal Palace 1-0, and Southampton um, tied with the Wolves, which seems like probably what you would expect. Um, any thoughts on any of those matches, Harshel? A couple of quick thoughts. Uh, United, Man United, for example, Obviously, there has been, again, criticism of the fact that they only beat West Brom 1-0 and it was uh, a laboured performance. But I think it was still encouraging because it's, United did create chances. It's just that the finishing wasn't up to the mark. Mm -hmm. So, And Sam Johnston had a really good game in the West Brom goal. So it could have arguably ended 2 or 3-0 as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and another thing which you can take away from that game and last night's game against Istanbul in the Champions League is that we've already spoken about how United midfield is the problem or rather that there is a problem that needs solving there because it's either too conservative or too attacking. Last night was an example of it being too attacking because uh, Solskjaer started with Donny van der Beek, uh, uh, Bruno Fernandes and Fred, which led to the game being very open. It was quite an entertaining game, but Istanbul had a, were able to attack United as well, you know, as United attacking Istanbul. Whereas in the West Brom game, it was a lot more defensive because you had Nemanja Matic playing. So he needs to find that balance there mm -hmm. uh, in terms of his midfield. And another interesting thought, interesting sort of uh, takeaway from the weekend's games was the Southampton West, uh, West uh, sorry, Southampton Wolves game because it was, I think, the first time in Nuno Espirito Santos' tenure at Wolves in almost three seasons that he started with a back four. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Connor, Cody, Connor Cody was out because of a COVID, uh, uh, positive COVID diagnosis. So mm -hmm. he went with the back four, even though the, the players in the lineup was, he could have easily played in a back three. He could have dropped Leander Dendonka into uh, one of the centre-back positions, which he's done quite a few times in the past. But he chose to go with the back four, played a 4-3-3, mm -hmm. which we've not really, we've not seen Wolves do that. And it was interesting because it looked like the Wolves players were also a little bit unsure of what their roles were. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I'm really interested to see if that if he keeps doing that going forward because, as I said, he's always either played a 3-5-2 or a 3-4-3 in, in about two and a half seasons that he's mm -hmm. been there. So that was quite interesting. Mm -hmm. All right. Dre, do you have any, any observations on any of those matches? Uh, yeah, just the one. Just um, Everton obviously getting three points again. Um, I, I think they're going to, you know, try to keep pushing for maybe a top six position in the table. It's going to be a little tough because, I mean, it's got the likes of Man U, Arsenal, Man City behind them. So we're going to push that envelope, but 
uh, I think it, it was just nice to see them get three points again. And, and they were a bit fortunate with uh, one of them's penalty walls again. Somebody slipping from the spot, but um, they'll take it anyway. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, good. Well, I, I guess, Harshal, you'd mentioned that um, uh, Man United won 4-1 uh, yesterday over uh, Istanbul. Um, Chelsea was able to squeak out a 2-1 um, victory um, over Rennes. And, and then we, of course, we've got Man City, Olympiacos, and then we've got Liverpool, Atalanta. Um, what are some things you would look for in, in that game, Harshal? Well, the previous uh, sort of leg or the, or the return fixture that between Liverpool and Atalanta was a lot more one-sided than we thought. You know, Liverpool were able to steamroller mm -hmm. Atlanta. I don't know if they'd be able to do that again. Mm -hmm. But again, from that game, the expectation is always that it'll, there's going to be good, high-quality attacking football because Atalanta uh, have been one of the best, I think, at least from uh, uh, viewers' point of view. Atalanta have definitely been one of the best teams to watch in Europe over the last couple of seasons, and they've mm -hmm. kept that going this season as well. So, and Liverpool are Liverpool. You know, they've been again supremely efficient, even though they've lost a lot of key players. But the guys who come in just keep performing at a, at the same level, it seems. So, I, I I don't know what will happen in terms of a scoreline because we all thought that Atlanta Liverpool the last time out would be a lot closer, and that Liverpool ended up winning by the big margin that they did. So, I, I can't give you a scoreline, but I do hope it will be an entertaining match. Yeah, I mean, I really got the sense that Atalanta seemed starstruck when they played Liverpool the first time uh, and just weren't able to process everything, which is peculiar since they seem to play at a similar um, uh, kind of uh, game intensity. Uh, so w w it'll be fascinating to uh, to see how that match goes. Um, so why don't we turn our attention a little bit to some of the um, the weekend matches? Um, what it, what would you look for in the in the Chelsea Tottenham game, Dre? What what are some things that first come to mind with that matchup? Uh well, yeah, I mean, I think over the last few weeks, we've seen Chelsea, um, I guess you could use the word mature a bit in terms of, you know, how they want to play. And I think they've put out some very strong performances. And then we've seen Tottenham, how they just played against City, where they just, you know, parked the bus. And uh, I guess that was their game plan for that specific game. I don't I don't know if they'll continue to play like that against other, other teams. But um, I think it should be an entertaining game. It's obviously, you know, high stakes at the top of the table. Uh Personally, I, I I think I anticipate Chelsea kind of dominating the game and and probably winning the game. I think they'll uh, they'll be better suited to to play against Tottenham uh, than City was over the weekend for some reason. That's strange to say, but yeah, I, I think I, I see Chelsea kind of winning that game. So, what's your prediction on a scoreline? Uh, I'd say maybe maybe two one Chelsea. Two one Chelsea. Harshell. Mm, I'll go the other way. I'll say two one to Spurs because. Uh, it, it comes down also, to be honest, to what sort of team Frank Lampard selects because we know what team. I mean, I think you can now almost name the sort of team that Mourinho would want to select, even though he does have a decision to make in self defense in central defense. If uh, Toby Alderweireld is not fit, he went off with an injury in the game against uh, City. So if he's not fit, I don't know who will come in next to Eric Dyer. I don't think he will be. Yeah, I think he's so out long term. By the way, yeah. Uh, so then you're probably going to have Joe Rodon. Joe Rodon came on off the bench um, against City, but I don't know if he's going to trust Rodon in a game of this 
magnitude or he could bring Davinson Sanchez in. But uh, with regard to Chelsea, yes, they've done well over the last few weeks. They've managed to, I think the 4-3-3 really suits them rather than the 4-2-3-1 that Lampard was playing earlier because you've got N'Golo Kante in his best position as the sort of defensive single pivot defensive midfielder and he can do all of the defensive work while even Mason Mount to an extent does help out defensively but then you've got Kovacic and then you, and the front three who can then go out and create but I don't know if that's going to be as eff- effective against Spurs because they've been brilliant at counter-attacking and uh, Chelsea have been vulnerable to counter-attack so like for example I would be very surprised if Lampard starts with Reese James at right back I expect to see Aspilicata come in on the on at right back because also because Son plays off the left so he would want more protection on that side but uh, it depends I mean I do think that Spurs have hit a, hit a good sort of you know stretch of momentum over the last few games with their results and the way they're playing with Harry Kane becoming Harry Kane I think is people are talking about they're not being too many playmakers or creative players in the league I think Harry Kane has become one of the best playmakers in the league he's got nine assists which is incredible for a striker and he's got seven goals so I think that that partnership between Kane and Son is working really well and Chelsea could struggle to contain that so I am going for a 2-1 winter Spurs all right well they're, they're going to have their hands full um with with this match uh and then they're also going to be playing Liverpool uh as as well um so uh they're going to have their 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 hands full with uh, over the next few weeks um that doesn't even take into account the Arsenal um the London derby on December 5th so um we're going to figure out how real they are um uh I didn't get a prediction from you Harshal give me a scoreline 2-1 to Spurs 2-1 to Spurs well I am going to go right down the middle which I don't enjoy doing but if I were to bet I think it's going to be a 1-1 game uh, I think it's going to be very defensive oriented I would go to Dre's 2-1 Chelsea if Olivier Giroud uh were to play. Um I uh I s- still think that Giroud brings a uh something different uh and um you know it'd, lo- it'd be lovely to see him get at least get on for 20 or 30 minutes and see if uh if he could make things happen. So um I, I guess there's a lot of debate on whether he should stay or go. Um, I think um, Lampard has decided he's going to stay. He, we have a contract. So um, so the uh, teams in CDR are probably going to have to wait another six months to get a, a Giroud. So um, how about in terms of the Man United-Southampton game, um, Harshal, there's some, some really interesting matchups there. Southampton has been just playing some fabulous football. Uh, the The system seems to be firing on all cylinders now. What are you going to look for? This is one of those games which could be problematic for United because the way Southampton play off the ball in terms of their pressing can be extremely um, difficult to play through. And United, again, as with Chelsea, you know, it comes down to how, what sort of team Solskjaer selects at the weekend, especially in midfield. The, the, combina- the composition of those uh, three midfielders because I mean, you can, I think, assume that Fernandez will play, Bruno Fernandez, but, will, but who are the two guys who are going to, play, going to play behind him? You know, is it going to be McTominay and Fred or will Matic play, will Van der Beek play? Because I believe Pogba, I don't think Pogba is going to be fit. So, um, the, the, the thing with Southampton is that they, 
really look to press in the middle third and they they press certain actions as well where if you pass the ball back to the keeper they will press aggressively if you're passing out to the flank they will press aggressively and those i mean united have looked uncomfortable against high pressing teams but at the same time as the game against leipzig showed in in the champions league if they able to play through that press then they can be devastating so i think it's it's going to come down to whether united are able to play through that press by southampton so i would maybe go for a one all draw on this one cuz i'm not sure if united will be able to do that dre any thoughts or a, sc- a scoreline uh yeah i mean i i you know just checked real quick southampton hasn't lost in about seven games or so or something like that um they're conceding a lot of goals but they're also scoring a lot of goals so i i think i think it'll be interesting i mean we've seen man united struggle at the back a few times and uh you know i think we saw another mistake from the hay over the weekend i uh not over the weekend sorry but yesterday in the game um i think southampton scores a couple of goals it's just a matter of if menu can match it so i think maybe maybe a 2-2 draw potentially um if southampton doesn't win i hate to sound so dull um i'm thinking it's a, it's a 1-1 match to me um you know i think southampton is is playing um playing amazingly um but Manu still just has an amazing amount of quality on the pitch. Um and I feel that offensively, you know, they can do well against uh, Istanbul but against some a really well organized Premier League team they haven't got their mojo yet. Um Harsha, how about Everton Leeds? What what are what are some things you can look or look for out of that match? It was interesting how Everton moved to a back 3 as well at the weekend against Fulham because you saw Ben Godfrey come into the side and play as the third centre back alongside Michael Keane and uh, and Yari Mina and it was Alex Iwobi who was playing as a right wing back because teams have quickly figured out that Everton's right hand side is a defensive weakness because Hamez is not going to go back and defend I mean he does do that he does go back into position and all of that but he's not going to say for example track the opposition full back right till the touch line or he's not going to be he he's just not a defender right so he doesn't have the instinct to defend so teams had been able to figure that out quite quickly but ancelotti made a tweak brought in the third center back who's uh, in godfrey who is also very quick so he can cover down that side and then you had ivobi who is obviously an attacking threat and uh, uh, can provide a, a penetration down the right but also has the discipline to fall back when needed so and that obviously then gave hamez the freedom to create much more so against a team which like leeds who obviously mark all over the pitch it will be interesting to see how that works out also because everton do have a tendency of letting sort of you know runners and runs go unchecked where if there's a third man run or if there's a blind uh, run which is made a lot of times the everton midfielders don't track those runs and leeds are the master of that sort of thing we saw that in the game against arsenal as well where there was a very i remember a specific example in the first half where alioski shot over the bar but the move that preceded it saw so many off the ball runs being made and arsenal weren't, just weren't able to keep up with it and i think that that might just happen again against everton unless ancelotti is able to maybe in this week work on specific team shape so i i i'm going to go for the leeds win so give me a give me a number um 2-1 to Leeds. Trey. 
I agree. I think two wins will be as well. Um, I'm going to say three two, but I don't know who's going to who's going to bring it all together, right? Because uh, with Richardson um, back in fairly fresh legs, though I imagine he had some work to do in the international uh, break, uh, and I just think that Dominic Calvert Lewin with Richardson is going to give Leeds a, a full hand. I just don't know who's going to score three and who's going to score two. So, um, <laughs> well, good. Well, Harshell, let's touch on our, our, our final topic is just looking at the table. Are there any, any observations you've picked up on um, having a, a recent gander? Um, similar to what we spoke about on last week's episode is mm-hmm. Brighton, for example, they're, they're what in 16th place with uh, nine points. But if you were to look at expected points, which is basically you simulate shots about 10,000 times to get match results and then allocate points to teams based on that. Uh, according to expected points, Brighton have should have 15 points, which would put them in third place. And I've maintained that, I mean, anybody who's seen Brighton play, for example, this season will know that they've been extremely unlucky with sure. the game against Man United being the biggest example. You know, they hit the post five, they hit the post over five times in that game and lost that match. So, I was really happy to see them win at the weekend against Villa and hopefully they can now put a bit of uh, a, a run together in terms of wins or at least not losing. In uh, Otherwise, as I said earlier, I was really surprised to see that City's XG per shot, for example, was the second lowest in the league. Mm-hmm. Even just XG per game, they're 10th in the league where over the last two or three seasons, you'd expect to see City first or second for XG per shot and just overall XG as well, you know. So... As I said, City's lack of creativity is a problem and uh, I don't know how Pep is going to solve it because it seems as though he's act- it actually seems to me he's become a little more stubborn in terms of how he's playing. I haven't really seen too many tactical tweaks or even personnel. Like, For example, I would play Phil Foden a lot more mm-hmm. just because of the lack of creativity in that City midfield. So right. let's see if, if what, what Pep does. But just off the top of my head, two of the things that have been interesting, although obviously there's a lot more to unpack if we had the time. I gotcha. Um, Dre, any any observations about uh, the table or just what you're going to be looking forward going forward? Uh, yeah, I mean, just quickly, I think, you know, I, I, I think it's starting to settle a little bit towards the bottom. Um, a little surprised by Burnley. I think they usually, you know, have a little bit more success in the Premier League than they're having now. Other than that, I mean, Fulham, West Brom, Sheffield United, they, they've had their struggles so far. And, it's probably going to look like that as the season goes on. Obviously, you know, Arsenal, Man City, Leeds, Man United, you expect them to be a bit higher up in the table. But, uh, you know, as time goes on, we'll, we'll see how that develops. Yeah, I, I would say that for as, as, as crazy as this season started, um, after nine matches, uh, if I had asked you at the beginning of the season, would it be a surprise to see Tottenham, Liverpool, Chelsea and Leicester City? Uh, in the top four, I think we would probably argue no. Is it a surprise to see Leverton? I'm sorry, Everton uh, in sixth place, and and Wolves at eight at eighth or ninth place. Right. I think the only surprises now is kind of Man, Man United needs to to get a couple more um, uh, threes, and as well as the Man City. I mean, those are the two outliers to what the overall experience is like right now. So. 
you know, I, I wonder if our, Chris, if our I like I like how you I, I I like how you didn't mention Arsenal being in twelfth as an outlier. Well, I mean, let's face it, <laughs> Arsenal's been that way for a while, and I will tell you, I do think that getting um, rid of Arsene Wenger was. Uh, I didn't like the way it was done, and the truth is, is that the two coaches after him have done any better than he has at his worst, right? So um, I don't. I mean, Arsenal is what it is right now. I'm, I'm going to call a spade a spade. Um, so yes, thank you for highlighting that point, but <laughs> that's just implicit in my in my thinking right now. And I'm sorry, Dre. I know you're an Arsenal fan, but you know something some lightning has got to strike in that bottle. And, and that, I think that's got to be Obama Yang somehow, some way. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I think the rumors about Erickson coming back, uh, Arsenal basically said that's not going to happen, but we don't know, but, but they will, I think having something like that needs to happen, um, to, for, for things to kind of come back together again. Well, why don't we leave it, th uh, for there today? Um, thank you so much, uh, Dre and Harshell. Um, we are sponsored by the EPL Guide, <clears throat> a 280-page season guide updated regularly, created by a team of 25-plus writers and analysts. Moneyball for football, analytics plus opposition analysis plus eye candy. The next update will be released in early September, available on www.thinkingfanmedia.com and on Amazon. Join us for our next Football Thinking Fans podcast. For now, bella ciao, bella ciao, ciao, ciao. 